and we would love for you to invite someone to church on Easter because we're going to take a break from the book of Mark on that Sunday, and I'm going to present a message uh, entitled Reasons for the Resurrection, and we will give an opportunity for people to hear the gospel and for them to place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So would you please consider inviting a friend to Easter Sunday morning to be with us? Thank you, Bridge Kids. You are dismissed. Last week, we learned of the execution of John the Baptist in Mark chapter 6, and that's where we are this morning. If you remember, let me just uh, bring us up to speed here. John had challenged King Herod, but remember, he wasn't a king. And John confronted Herod with the truth about Herod taking the wife of his brother Philip, which was also his niece. Herod's wife, Herodias, hated John so much because Herod accused them of immorality. And uh, because of that, she had her husband arrest John the Baptist and put him into prison. Now, Herod was fascinated by John, if you remember that. Uh, He was afraid of John. He was fearful of John. But at the same time, He liked to hear John preach, and he used to go to John's prison cell and and talk to John and ask John questions. He rationalized, in fact, that by keeping John in prison, he was protecting John, primarily from Herodias. However, Herodias outsmarted her husband on Herod's birthday. On the night of this great banquet and feasting and much wine for this men's party, Herodias allowed her young daughter to dance before the king, and Herod was so enthralled that he offered up to one half of his kingdom in front of his party guests. And remember, he didn't have a kingdom anyway, so, but he was trying to be generous. And quickly she consulted with her mom, and she came right back and said, I want the head of the, John the Baptist on a platter right now. Herodias won. Herod was embarrassed, and because of his promise for his guests, John's head was brought into the party on a platter. Mark places John's story right in the middle of a full ministry schedule of Jesus in Mark chapter 6. Jesus' ministry pattern is shifting. He's taking more and more time to train his disciples. And there's going to be a sharp contrast leaving the banquet room at Herod's palace. Now back, and we're going to end up in the wilderness. And uh, if you follow in your outline, we're in Mark chapter 6, and we begin with verses 30 and 32, the discipleship lesson about ministry. This is a discipleship lesson. Jesus continues to work with the crowds, but he's teaching his disciples. And here's the context Uh, This is what happened right before the John the Baptist story that interrupted in Mark 6. Now, Mark uh, chapter 6 and verse 7, the context here, Mark 6 verse 7. Remember this. This is where we were two weeks back. Calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. This is when Jesus began to work through his disciples. He'd been training them, and now he sends them out on a mission. Um, It's a learning mission. It's a training mission. 
And uh, he's, Jesus is multiplying his ministry through his disciples. They are to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. They were to heal the sick. And um, they were to cast out demons. And now in verse 30, this is where our passage begins this morning. In verse 30, the debrief. Verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Now, likely the, the venue here is going to be Capernaum. And for those of you who like maps, we're not going to show a map because you know where Capernaum is. Now, this is where Jesus' headquarters was on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. So the disciples have been out. We don't know what Jesus has been up to. The disciples have been out, and they've been doing what Jesus instructed them to do. And they're going to come back now to Jesus. It's likely at Capernaum. Um, And here's what they've been doing. Mark chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Again, this is right before the story of John the Baptist. They went out and preached that people should repent. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what Jesus instructed them to do. They followed his instructions. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. They did exactly what Jesus had instructed them to do. Um, And by the way, this whole thing about debrief, really a good model. In fact, it is the model for training people is to give them instructions and then come back and say, hey, how did it go? How did you do? What happened? What did you learn? And that's what Jesus is doing. So, you know, if you're helping people become bridge kids leaders, it's a great way to let them serve and then take them aside and say, how did it go? What did you learn? What would make it better? If you're um, helping somebody adjust to working with 412, same principle, debrief. Um, The same thing is true about running sound or graphics or leading a small group. You take somebody aside and say, how did it go? This is exactly the kind of ministry that uh, Jesus did. So question here, what is the lesson here of discipleship that Jesus wants his followers to get? And the answer is, when you follow Jesus' instructions, there we go, and depend on him, he gives success. Follow Jesus, listen to his instructions, and trust him for the success. Now, Jesus never said that his disciples wouldn't have trouble. He never said they wouldn't have problems. What he said, uh, what the principle is, is trust him and let him work through you. When you follow Jesus' instructions and depend on him, he gives success. John 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, remain in me. This is like the night before Jesus was crucified. So it's kind of like final instructions. Think back over all three years that I've spent with you, disciples. And here's kind of a bottom line. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Because Jesus has already said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. How do you have ministry success? is you got to stay close to Jesus. You have to walk with him, depend upon him. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, the if, that's the condition, and I remain in you, you will bear much 
fruit. Because that's what Jesus is looking for. He's not looking for your happiness necessarily. He's looking for you to bear fruit in your life. He wants the Holy Spirit to work through you so that the Holy Spirit can change you to be more like him. And he wants the Holy Spirit to work through you so you can have an impact for the kingdom of God. This is success in Jesus' eyes. It's fruit-bearing. That's what he was teaching his disciples. This is how God works for good in your everyday life. It's not that everything that will be good in your everyday life, that God can work everything for his good. Um, Walking closely with Jesus is not just for a few people, by the way. Sometimes you get the idea that, you know, there are super spiritual people and walking closely with Jesus is for them. But, you know, I'm like an everyday person, so from time to time, I may try hard. We have a core value at the bridge that says this, uh, about full devotion to Christ. Pursuing full devotion to Christ is normal for every follower of Christ. It just should be normal. It's not for special people. It's not for missionaries or pastors or leaders. It's for everybody. That passage in Matthew 28, 20, it's, it's a passage that ends the Great Commission. And he said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Teach them to obey. Don't teach them to be smarter. Don't just give them more knowledge, but teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And we call that full devotion to Christ. Um, by the way, are you okay with that? Verse uh, 31 and 32, the retreat, look at verse 31. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So Jesus recognizes they've just come from this ministry tour. They have been walking from village to village, and they have been meeting with people. And I don't know if you know, but people can wear you out. And Jesus gets that, and uh, he wants to get alone with them. And their batteries are drained, and they need to be recharged. So Jesus invites them away for a retreat to get some rest. So they did. Finally, rest. Uh, What is the lesson here? What is the lesson for discipleship ministry here? And the answer is simply, sometimes we need to pull away. Answer? There we go. We need to pull away from busy activities and rest physically and spiritually. Now, that's not like rocket science. And for some of you, that's not a big deal. But some of you do need rest. And maybe you just need to give yourself permission to rest. Um, Jesus isn't looking for people to burn out. From time to time, because of circumstances, because of hard work, because of the stress of life, you need to pull away and rest and get recharged because you're going to be way more effective in life after you rest. You're going to be way more effective as a mom with small kids if you get the chance. That's not always easy. Moms need to be recharged. And if you're a student, you know, 
You need to pull away from time to time and get rest. You need to spend time with your Lord. Um, this is part of the discipleship training for the disciples. This was Jesus' practice. He continually pulled away. Often he was alone. It was okay to be alone. His disciples usually had to watch. I'm guessing it's going to be a time, but they're going to get it too. And they're going to pick up this practice, and they're going to pull away and rest and get their batteries recharged. Uh, Secondly, discipleship lesson about provision, verses 33 through 44. The discipleship lesson about provision. We see the need in verse 33. But many who saw him leaving recognized him and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. They're not going to get much of a retreat here. They have good intentions. I don't know how long they were on the water. Maybe Maybe there was a short retreat and a short rest on the water. But the crowds uh, recognized Jesus and his disciples getting into the boat, and they anticipated where he might head. This is crazy. They ran around the north shore of the Sea of Galilee to arrive where he, where they believed he was headed. Verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching many things to them. So the retreat gets interrupted for a time. The boat landed. The crowd was just overwhelming. Jesus has superstar status. Remember that. He is just a celebrity. He is so exciting to be around. What is he going to do next? He does miracles. He heals people. He creates conflict with some people. But it says they were like sheep without a shepherd. And, and that really got the attention of Jesus. It's going to change his course of direction right here on the spot. They are lost. They are wondering. They are hurting. They are like sheep without a shepherd. Now, who is Jesus? That's what this discipleship training is about. Who is Jesus? Well, in John chapter 6, on the same account of what's happening now, Jesus is identified as the good shepherd. And these people are like sheep without a shepherd. And so now the shepherd appears, and the shepherd is going to lead them to green grass so they can be rest and be replenished. And Jesus has compassion on them. He was deeply moved in his spirit. Uh, He was moved by their need. We have a core value about this. We call it uh, lost people. And people far from God matter to him. Therefore, they matter to us. That passage in Luke 19.10 says that Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's the good shepherd. And he cares about people who are disconnected from him, who need to be in relationship with him. And we need to have that very same concern. Sometimes we develop this inside or outside mentality where we are the good guys and they are the bad guys. And and we're, we're all sinners. Some of us experience forgiveness and some haven't. And uh, 
Jesus cared about, and that's what he modeled in discipleship for his followers, for his disciples. Uh, this is just one more great reason to invite somebody to Easter on Sunday. It's just one small thing uh, you can do to show that people matter to you. Verse 35 and 36, the perceived problem. Back to Jesus and the disciples. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him, and they thought this through. This is logical. Jesus, this is a remote place. Jesus, it's already very late. Okay, Jesus, send the people away. And so his disciples now are giving instructions to Jesus to send the people away. Stop helping them, Jesus, so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. They have a good, cer- a good concern. The, disciples, uh, the, the people are hungry. Uh, they are in a re- remote place. And you know what? There, there are no uh, McDonald's. There are no grocery stores. Um, and can you imagine, this is a very large crowd, how much food the towns and villages around would have to have to take care if they all showed up to buy food. I'm sure the disciples had a, a real concern for the people. I'm guessing that even more they're concerned about themselves being tired and hungry. I can, I'm not very fun when I'm tired and hungry. The facts were it was late. Um, there's no way to get food here. It's not humanly possible. But we see the actual problem in verse 37. But he answered, Jesus, Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. That's the actual problem. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go out and spend that much on bread and give it, give it to them to eat? Um, it's humanly impossible. Um, Jesus is still instructing his disciples here, and he says, you give them something to eat. By the way, um, here it says more than a half a year's wages. In other places, it says eight months' wages. A wage was a denarius. And uh, if just give you a picture of what we might say today, I don't know if this is enough money to feed this large group, but if you took $10 an hour and eight months of the year, uh, that would be around $16,000. Just pull out of your pocket and buy food for this group. And um, it's really kind of unthinkable. Um, so they're uh, questioning Jesus here. Are we to go and spend that money on bread? And what's the problem here? By the way, can you think back early in chapter 6? What did Jesus tell his disciples to do? He, he sent them out. And he wanted them to proclaim the gospel. He wanted them to heal the sick. He wanted them to cast out demons. And what else? Don't take any money. Don't take any food. Don't take any extra clothes. Why? Because he wanted them to depend on God. So here they are, out in the wilderness, no food. What are the disciples trying to do? They're trying to solve their problems without Jesus. He's still teaching them. He's being very patient. He's going to illustrate this for them. Because we learn when we go through experiences and we see illustrations. So we see verse 38, the disciples' resources. Uh, How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. He's going to make them go go check on the resources. Go go count. 
Go assess the current situation accurately. When they found out, they said five. That would be five barley loaves. And the barley loaves were small and flat. Um, They wouldn't go very far for lunch. Five barley loaves and two fish. Now, verses 39 through 44, the disciples' resources in the Lord's hands, and this is what the whole lesson is about. Verse 39, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass, so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Jesus takes charge of the situation. He brings order to a possible chaotic crowd situation that is hungry and tired. Crowd control is not necessarily e- easy, but he orders them to, with the disciples to have them sit in orderly groups. They start getting leadership. They start getting instructions. And what, is, what happens here? Jesus leads his sheep to green grass. Exactly what's happened. And this is probably the springtime in the year. And they are in the wilderness. Green grass is not everywhere in the wilderness. Um, verse 41 Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And he is being a tremendous model for everybody here. He gives thanks to God, the one who is the source, the one who provides resources, the one who is able, the one who has power and authority to provide. And he gave thanks And then he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. And here it is. It's a miracle of multiplication just like that. It's not fancy. They just go to Jesus. Jesus picks them up in his hands, and he begins to hand them out one at a time. And then he just keeps doing it. I don't know how he did it. This is a miracle just like the other miracle. This was supernatural. This was breaking the natural laws, and it was the creator God using the resources that were placed in his hands to multiply them to provide for his people. And verse 42, um, they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Um, The meal was simple, but it says they all ate Every one of them until they were satisfied. It just kept coming. I don't know how long this took. Think about this. The disciples had to be involved. I would guess this took hours. Jesus handled every piece of bread and fish. And the disciples handled every piece of bread and fish until they were full. They were satisfied with what had been provided for them. And, um, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. So there was a surplus. And so disciples have to go pick it up. How many basketfuls? 12. How many disciples? 12. What can you learn from this? Jesus provides everything and a surplus, and you've got a basket to remember this by. And that's what we're going to eat tomorrow, by the way, it says. Didn't say it. And then it says, verse 44, the number of men who had eaten were 5,000. Matthew tells us 
um, that the group was a little bit larger, he said, that's not counting the women and the children. I don't know why they counted men, and they didn't always count the women and children. But I know one thing, that's how they sat down in the grass. The men would have sat with men. It would have been very easy for them to count by the way they had them seated, and there was at least 5,000 men in the group. So it's a large group. How, how large? I don't know. Is it 10,000? Is it 15,000? Some think it's larger. So what is the lesson here? And here's the lesson. Our, our limitations placed in the hands of Jesus can build abundant success and provision. Our limitations, that's what we bring. We always bring limitations, whether it's skill, ability, resources, money. We have limitations. But if they're in the hands of Jesus, it can yield abundant success and uh, provision. The goal is not to be rich and famous. Sometimes people want God just to just bless me and so I can be happy and I can have all the stuff that will make me happy. That's not the goal. The goal is for Jesus to be famous, not us. It's for Jesus to be famous in our world. Our success is related to Jesus being famous in our world. Passage that we read earlier, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. It's, that's what this whole thing is about. It's about advancing his kingdom one life at a time. And um, his kingdom first, my kingdom second. That's a priority. His stuff first, my stuff second. He's Lord. I'm here. This is me. This is my kingdom. It all works here. Okay. Uh, third discipleship lesson about fearful circumstances, verses 45 through 56. And we have a change of venue in this one, verse 45. They've been in a remote place. We don't know where. They've been in a remote place. Verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. This is a change of venue. And go ahead of him to the Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Okay? Okay, you've been waiting for a map. Here it is. Remember Capernaum, northwest shore? They are setting out. We don't know where they are exactly, but they're setting out to Bethsaida up on the right. Okay? That's the Sea of Galilee, Jordan River to the south. Jordan River also goes to the north. So, um, so Jesus made his disciples. So they're following Jesus' instructions to get into the boat and go ahead to Bethsaida. That's where they're going. Uh, and then he's going to stay back, and he's going to dismiss the crowd. And, uh, you know, that would be a little courageous I know who he is, but Jesus by himself. And John 6 says they, they're coming to make him king. They, they, there is a group within this crowd who want to make Jesus king. And in their mind, they're going to end up marching him into Jerusalem and having him overthrow everybody. Uh, that's what kings are supposed to do. Uh, at least this king is what they wanted. And so Jesus... Um, is left alone, and he's letting the disciples escape. And verse 46, the practice of prayer. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. So he left the crowd. He went on a mountaintop, what, to sleep? Man, I bet he was tired. But he went to pray. He left the crowd. Uh, this was his pattern. 
even after an exhausting day. Now, this is something we need to learn more about prayer. Let prayer become more and more a part of our lives. We have a bridge core value about prayer. And uh, prayer aligns our hearts with the God of the universe and displays our total dependence on him. Luke 18, 13 says, uh, men ought always to pray. We ought always to pray. Jesus was continually teaching that. This is how Jesus lived. This is what Jesus did to reconnect with the Father. He needed it. He sensed that. This is how he realigned himself with God's purpose on earth, uh, to align with God's purpose in advancing the kingdom of God. Um, Verses 47 and 48, the predicament. The predicament, verse 47. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land, and he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Now, they followed his instructions. They got in the boat. That's what Jesus said. He, he separated. He went alone to be in prayer. And now uh, the disciples are struggling. They're alone. I think this is part of the lesson. Disciples are straining at their work. The wind is against them. And they're making pretty much no progress. That's a, a hard day. And um, the antidote for fear, verse 48 Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. Jesus is now revealing himself in a very new way to his disciples. That's what he's been doing. He's been showing them who he is. I don't get this. Well, I don't know how he did it. I mean, he's God. He's the creator. He created the water. It's not a big problem for him to walk on water. But this is not a spectacular event as far as how many people are watching. This is a discipleship lesson for just 12 people. And uh, he, he was about to pass by them. And, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. They, this has never happened before. They couldn't. It was dark. Um, This is still in the night. Something is coming, they see, and um, they've been messing with demons for the last few weeks. And here's something that scares them to death, death, and they misinterpret the situation. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And he reveals himself in a new way. Um, He's pretty patient, isn't he? He doesn't castigate them. He doesn't berate them. They're really slow on the uptake here. And he reveals himself in a new way. Just who is this guy? He demonstrated his power and authority. And that's, uh, but he's already done this. uh, Demonstrated his power and authority over the wind and the waves and the weather. Uh, let's go back to Mark 4, 39 through 41. Remember this? This is when they were in the boat and he was asleep in the back and he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. That's all he had to do was to speak with his authority. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. 
he was instructing his disciples about who he was. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Don't you, do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So it takes more than one time for them to learn. Uh, probably just a little bit like us. And Jesus said, it is I. Take courage. Don't be afraid. Jesus is right there. Don't be afraid. This is just how God revealed himself in the Old Testament in times when people were afraid. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. This is God speaking through Isaiah. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's God speaking to his people. That's his promise. He didn't say, I'm going to take away your problems, but I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to trust me right in the middle of your circumstances. Verse 13. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. But disciples are still a little bit slow. That gives us encouragement, doesn't it? The lesson missed, 51 and 52. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Now, it's not like they're uh, super bad people, and it's not like they're like the Sadducees and the Pharisees who weren't interested in Jesus at all. The disciples have been trying but they're still a bit spiritually dull. They still have a ways to go. Mark is clear that there was a direct correlation with Jesus getting out of the boat and the wind dying down. But Mark states, they had not understood about the loaves. Jesus took care of it. He took care. He, he provided all the resources that were needed on the spot. He didn't give them T-bone steak. He gave them what they needed. And the disciples are yet spiritually dull. Yet Jesus is still very patient because they're trying. When he gives them instructions, they're trying to follow. The ministry continues as we bring this passage to the close. Uh, Mark 16. 53 through 56, when they had crossed over, they landed at uh, Generous and anchored there. Let's just look at the map there. There you go. So a little while ago, they were headed to Bethsaida. But they got out into the middle, and they couldn't handle it until Jesus showed up. Where did they end up? Instead of going to Bethsaida, they end up at Genereset. Okay? The ministry continues. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region, and they um, put, yeah, keep up the map. And uh, they ran through the whole region and carried the sick mats to wherever they, they heard he was. And wherever he went, into the villages, towns, or countrysides, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Because they believed that Jesus could heal. 
And he only responded when people believed and when they had faith, because that's what Mark has been showing all the way. We don't know uh, how quickly the disciples get their retreat, but this is a summary. That 53 through 56 is a summary. Up where the Sea of Galilee is on the north, this is the Galilean ministry. Since Mark chapter 1, we've been up there for 15 months. Going from town to town, Jesus is preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out demons. And the crowds just go wherever he goes. So what is the lesson here? What is the lesson? The answer, acknowledging the presence of God in your circumstances overcomes fear. Acknowledging the presence of God in your circumstances overcomes fear. John 16, 33. Good reminder here. Jesus said to his disciples, this was also the night before his death, he said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. And the disciples are going to have more and more trouble in their lives ahead. So we have to quit expecting trouble to go away. Um, in, the, in this world, you have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And he promises a peace in the midst of difficult circumstances to help us through those circumstances. 1 John 4, 18. The Apostle John says there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Scripture is really clear that God loves you. And he's demonstrated that by sending his son, the Lord Jesus, to die for you. And the greatest commandment in all the Bible is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And God desires a loving relationship between him and us. And in that relationship, perfect love drives out fear. It's not that you are perfect, but his love is perfect. And we can count on it. We can count on him to drive out fear. It's a result of walking with Jesus. So it's about staying close to him, and he will remove the fear. It's about let, letting Jesus be in your boat. Because when Jesus stepped into the boat, everything changed. And if you get separated from Jesus, invite him back. Not to be saved, but to be close. So in Mark 6, 30 through 56, Jesus took a great deal of effort to illustrate uh, his lessons for training, his teaching points. He could have just given a lecture, but uh, that's not how we learn. We understand truth much better when we have to live it out. We learn that Jesus provides when we are in need. The bigger the need, the more we learn. We learn that Jesus can handle our fear when we face fearful circumstances. The harder the circumstances, the more we're going to learn about his love and overcoming fear. 
Today we're going to end our service by taking time to remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's a time of communion. It's a time we take bread and the cup and we're reminded that it, his death on the cross, that his body was nailed for us, that he died and he took our place. And um, I deserve the death for the wages of sin is death, but he took my death. He, Christ died for you and for me in our place. And we are to be reminded. It's a time of, we are to reflect because we have a tendency to forget what's really important and what's central to us. And so we want to do that uh, this morning to um, pause and we're going we're gonna to thank God for what he's done for us. And uh, we're going to have people come up and prepare to serve us. And uh, when you're ready, you can just uh, come forward. Our communion is open to all who are followers of Christ. It doesn't make any difference whether you are officially a member. If you're a follower of Christ, you're welcome to join us this morning. Let us pray. Father, we just want to pause before you and we want to give thanks. Thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us and that you've offered us eternal salvation. You've offered us forgiveness of sins. You've offered to give us citizenship in heaven by placing our faith in Jesus. Thank you. 